So my hope is that this doesn't become a longer funk because I actually have written dot points for various topics that I want to touch on. But I wanted to give, it's the end of the year, I wanted to give some kind of year in review because a lot of things have happened this year and I wanted to link some of them, decompress some of them and talk a little bit about my own thinking through this whole process. The first dot point I have is associated with the Doug Rushkoff talk that I attended in San Francisco in February. And Doug has diverged very greatly from my life in some regard. I mean, he seems to be writing about things that are happening in my life in some way. But his narrative is just really very curious. And, I mean, historically, that's that's the reason I started communicating with Doug. And that's how he knows about my work, because I have, you know, continued to do my own stuff independent of whatever he's decided to write. But it was very interesting to go and see him talk because it reiterated to me that my path is completely different. And people that follow folks like Doug embody so much mythology. And I think in order to have a narrative, you need to have a coherent narrative. And thus, a lot of the grit, a lot of the detail, a lot of the things that make these things decidedly incoherent, you just have to lose. And that's really what Doug Rushkoff does in his writing. He provides a narrated path through a series of things where if you acknowledge additional difficulties through the way, it would be a much more interesting and perhaps slightly tortured journey. So going and seeing his talk reiterated the whole Democrats, Democrats, liberalist nonsense, which probably is going to be a driving force for getting me out of this country, because quite frankly, I think the whole nature of you know discourse in this kind of environment is not good. And although I had a relatively candid chat with Doug, it made me realize that I'm not going to change anything based on this experience. What it is, is really a point in the sand associated with how my experiences have diverged from a narrative which people seem to be comfortable with. So that is more a line in the sand. Ironically, and this wasn't in my notes because, quite frankly, the whole experience was very bizarre, I also hired very briefly for about three weeks a publicist to listen to Model Rail Radio and to opine associated with her own particular proclivities. It was a very curious experience. It made me realize that you can throw money at something and have a very negative experience, which seems to be part of the narrative associated with this year. But yeah, it just made me realize that finding the wrong person and paying the wrong person doesn't actually get you any publicity. And all it did really was reinforce the fact that this complexity problem that I've talked about in the previous Long Funk, that's a very real thing. Like once you have more information, once you have more ideas, more what have you, distilling that down into something that is marketable is actually a very challenging problem. And if you don't have people that are really nuanced and understanding associated with the details, you're going to end up with a circumstance that I ended up with, which is basically this person was unemployable. So... I did wonder, maybe it's like a, if I started with 10x or 100x the amount of money that I was putting into this publicist thing, whether it would have been a better experience. My perspective is it was the wrong person. It was perhaps the wrong time. It was the wrong framing. And this individual just managed to irritate me from the very initial correspondence. So working on from that point was not positive. I mean, she was positive associated with the uh, idiot. Let's just call him an idiot. <laughs> What else do you describe him as? I've got all these wonderful euphemisms for the guy. But anyway, she was very sympathetic to the idiot, which is a good start. You're not going to get very far with me if that's your, your entryway. And everything following that was just very curious. And, you know, she'd argue points where really I wanted her assistance rather than her arguments. And it was arguments where she wouldn't do things. So an example of this, 
I said, well, can we reintroduce Noble Ape? Can we create some framing? And she said, I don't do that. I only do stuff that is new. And you've been doing Noble Ape for 22 years. I'm like, well, okay, that's a good point. But do you think Noble Ape has been embodied in any way in the public consciousness? Do you think that's something that might be something that's new that could be put out there? No, no, that's not what I did. Okay, so clearly, just through that example, you should understand this was not someone I could continue to work with. So that was that. The Rushkov talk, the publicist thing. I went to Australia and New Zealand. I met a, a couple, three, actually, great uncles, which was wonderful, and various family members who I hadn't met in New Zealand. But the whole trip was really tumultuous in terms of just my general lack of sleep and a wide variety of other factors. And it fits into a circumstance which has been echoed through this year where you pay quite a bit of money for an experience. And then based on a series of factors that you have no control over, in fact, just the, I don't want to use the term malicious intent, but just the lack of forethought of a number of other individuals in the process, this experience becomes less than ideal. And that was really the circumstance with the Australia and New Zealand trip. There were a bunch of things that came up with work. There were a whole series of circumstances which changed what could have been a really positive trip into something that was nice to meet people, but actually the fabric of the trip was very curious and a bit bizarre in a number of points. And these were points that I had no control over, but things that I'm going to take as future feedback, let's just say, for additional trips. And... You know, it was nice to see Adelaide again. I really feel very disappointed that I didn't spend a lot of time in Adelaide because it was a place that was so central to me growing up. And the time that I did spend there uninhibited was really very important to me. So really a day and a bit of very limited circumstances. So my view is in the next five years, I've got to spend at least a week in Adelaide. That's the commitment I've made from that trip. When I returned from Australia, I had a former friend of mine who was coming to stay with us for three months. He lasted about two weeks. This is another circumstance where, having paid for a lot of stuff and organized a lot of stuff, the behavior of another individual beyond your control impacts the circumstance greatly. And in this case, he is just an alcoholic. I mean, I've known he's an alcoholic for a long period of time, but last time he came and stayed with us, he was kind of a quiet alcoholic, and this time... He came and stayed with us and he was a considerably more, I don't know how one would describe it. I mean, he did a variety of things. He rearranged the house. He didn't sleep the same hours we slept. So you'd come downstairs in the morning and the house would be completely rearranged. When I say completely rearranged, I mean quite completely rearranged. And he broke a bunch of stuff and he did a bunch of things that were just not really acceptable. And then the whole thing digressed very rapidly. And I realized through this period of time that this was someone who... I had spent a lot of time actively promoting and doing a bunch of different things for all he had for my time and energy was just a bunch of anger, really profound anger, which came out more after he left, but certainly while he was here as well. And the whole thing was just really quite disturbing. And it made me realize my framing of friendship has been something which has been very curious and not really about mutual friendship. It's about me doing a bunch of things for people and then just seeing what happens. So that was a curious experience. I then released some music on June 13th. I released June 13th, This is Noble Ape, I think was the name of the track, and uh, a bunch of other little bits and pieces. This is the first part of two parts associated with releasing perhaps slightly too little music, but also releasing music into an intellectual property rights assault, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about further through this podcast. But 
that it was an interesting experience in part. It was something I felt distinctly uncomfortable about. And the whole experience actually was in response to this very aggressive intellectual property rights assault. So I don't know what, what more I can really say about it, aside from the fact that it was framed in this circumstance. I then finalised, or had the final correspondence with the fellow that stayed with us, and he, through this correspondence, made it ple- completely clear, and these were Skype calls, um, that I shouldn't promote his work anymore, and really I need to distance myself from all my prior work that has his work in it, um, which isn't actually that much in practical terms. In writing terms, it's probably the entirety of Field of Chaos. It's half a dozen tracks. I released a censored, for want of a better term, but a series of tracks with his audio explicitly removed, which is called Witness Protection, which is the tracks that he was in with his stuff removed. And that is what I'm going to work with going forwards. It's very curious to have a substantial part of one's life censored because of the disturbed acts of an individual who probably wouldn't have any... I mean, he doesn't have any meaningful means of doing anything. I just don't want to be associated with this thing. And it really irked me and rubbed me the wrong way, and the whole experience was kind of a bit bizarre. But, yeah, so that's a bunch of my intellectual property that I'm not going to continue to promote, but still is out there. I mean, if people want to read these things, it's still there. The music, I think, probably after a five-year period when it gets out of the first re-releasing window, I'll just drop all the old music and work on the witness protection or maintain the witness protection versions only. So you've got about four years to listen to that music before it disappears. But yeah, it was a very strange experience because he was someone who I'd literally my entire life spent bent over backwards trying to placate and make sure that he was happy and all this kind of stuff. And he was just a really unhappy, nasty individual, which I kind of knew, but just came through in spades. And it was just really disturbing and just disgusting. And a bunch of the stuff that he said to me was really just reprehensible. And I just thought, well, this is garden variety Australian alcoholism at its best. So that was really that. We took a trip to Washington, D.C. to attend the O-Scale National Convention, which is a train convention in D.C. And I didn't speak at this conference, which made it a lot easier to attend. And I tended, when I go to train things, I don't really attend the whole thing. I, I treat it piecemeal. Tended a bunch of layout tours, which I did by myself, which was really interesting to see what O-Scale in the wild is. O-Scale, nominally, in terms of what's popularly known, is the Lionel, it's the Lionel size of trains. But this is actually, I think, the two-rail O-Scale convention, which are the people that take that size of trains but remove the central Lionel track and make it look like a regular railroad, but just a bit larger than the HO scale. In fact, double the HO scale size. So they're interesting folk. A bunch of older gentlemen caught up with a wide variety of people who I know through the podcast, which was really nice, and met a bunch of people, uh, which was nice as well. Out of the two conventions I attended, this one was slightly better because there was no actual emotional baggage associated with that. Also through the year, we had the house worked on. We had basically three months of no secure accommodation or at least no reliable accommodation and i think for both my wife and i we both took different things from this for me i doubled down on my productive efforts once we got the electricity back but also there's a theme associated with living in this part of the world which is associated with abuse like really quite fundamental abuse we had a washing machine installed where the guys who installed it broke our plumbing. Like, they literally broke the taps off and things like that. I mean, they damaged our plumbing. And we had a similar experience when we had a dishwasher. Exactly the same scenario, actually, except one was inside the house and the 
washing machine and stuff is outside the house. But the, when the dishwasher was installed, the guy left so quickly, he left his hat behind. And this time the guys left so quickly, one of them dropped a pair of gloves and I chased after him and said, you forgot your gloves and passed them back to him. But yeah, they just done damage. We had to get a plumber out. Um, with the washing machine, we had to get like three or four plumbers out. Total, I think, seven plumbers uh, to get the washing machine going. Or sorry, the dishwasher. In the washing machine case, we just got one quite competent plumber, thankfully, in the evening and had everything up and working. But then I had to continue to deal with this company <laughs> to get a refund or at least some... Well, the acknowledgement, there was a refund because we got a dryer as well and the dryer didn't work at all. So... I then went in a week later and they hadn't done anything associated with processing the refund. In fact, what came out was just a whole series of lies. And it was really, really very curious. There's something about San Jose where it's just, it's an old tile corrupt town. It's not Silicon Valley. It's San Jose. It's its own thing where people behave really reprehensibly and everyone's just trying to be shifty for a buck. It's just really a very different town than, you know, Sunnyvale or Cupertino or Mountain View I mean, these towns have different cultures. San Jose is just about rip-off, like just straight rip-off. And it really was very strange to actually, because I went back physically, I'd spoken to them on the phone maybe three, four times to try to organize this refund and what was going to happen with the, you know, the money for the broken taps. I just wanted the delivery fee wavered. I mean, the plumbing costs were 380 odd dollars. The delivery fee was about 60 bucks. So I just said, look, just wave the delivery fee and I'm fine. They still haven't waived the delivery fee. I did thankfully get a refund because I went in associated with the dryer, but that required me to go in physically and literally be in a confrontational situation. In fact, the conclusion of the situation, the guy who sold us the machines made the point that his mother lived, you know, three, four streets over. And the thing that really irritates me about these experiences is that these are people ripping off locals. They're just locals ripping off locals and being perfectly comfortable with that. I said to the guy at the end of the conversation, I said, your mother lived on... uh, was 11th Street or 12th Street? And he said, uh, yeah, 11th Street or 12th Street. So he wasn't, you know, clearly he made up a bit about his mother. I said, you know, what you do to me here, you're also doing to your mother. Making the point that if you behave this way with locals, you're just ripping off, you know, locals. So the whole thing is despicable. His mother could be having these experiences as well. The whole notion of, you know, local pride or whatever, just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Anyway, so... That was the electrical work. We're still having problems with electrical work. Right? I, before even starting this recording, I had to go downstairs and flick a few circuit breakers so I could start recording the podcast. So the whole thing is just a comedy. I mean, it's just a, an incredibly expensive comedy, which continues. I mean, it's nice to have three plong outlets in every room now, but I don't know, three months of my life and all the other additional nonsense. I don't know. Anyway, that was the electrical work. I went back to the East Coast, to New Jersey, for an NMRA, which is National Model Rail Association convention, a regional convention in New Jersey. There were many different parts to this. My experience actually with the NMRA has never been particularly good. This was a really horrible experience where when I tried to actually get in as a speaker at this particular conference, they just denied me (laughs) entry. It was very, very curious. took about uh, half an hour to 45 minutes of just being quizzed about who I was. I said, I'm a speaker, I'm Tom Barbele, you know, produced identification, all this kind of stuff. They refused any of that. I went through a series of different things about, you know, what region was I part of and, you know, you know, and they realised actually through the thing that they were trying to prove things that they couldn't actually prove. So the whole thing was very curious, but it was just local people, I mean, talking about San Jose, but in New Jersey, behaving just completely xenophobically and just really stupidly. And it was really very curious because I didn't... The guy who organised it and his off, offside guy who 
calls into model rail radio. They apologized for it, but I didn't get a refund. I got a certificate at the very end, which was nice, just thanking me. But, you know, as someone who's coming in, the whole process probably cost about, well, Michelle came too, but it was, you know, multi-thousands of dollars to go over, staying in this overpriced hotel in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey and, uh, yeah, have this experience. There were some really nice things that happened in New Jersey, though, so let's just move the NMRA experience aside. I met listener Ron Kleiss, who I've met previously, actually. I met in the road trip when I went to uh, Pennsylvania last year, but I spent more quality time with Ron Kleiss. I met his family, had just a number of really nice experiences, and that was very valuable, so NMRA stuff aside. I went to the Sopranos house in New Jersey. It's just a regular house, so we went by there one day. I also went to the Cota building and saw, you know, where John Lennon was shot, and that had a serious impact on me. I didn't realise that it would. I listened to John Lennon periodically, but it has an impact on me, and to reflect on that was very poignant, and obviously with uh, James Gandolfini as well, the Sopranos building or the Sopranos house, and we went to a few other little bits and pieces associated with Sopranos related stuff while we were there too. Uh, but the house, you know, the trees are 10 years higher than when I last saw on the show. Sopranos has been an important program to me, actually. I watch it periodically. It's a good kind of, there's nothing else to watch kind of program as far as I'm concerned. We also, or I also met, I went off and had uh, a steak meal with John and Janet. John is one of my miniature painters. In fact, I did meet a miniature painter in the DC area as well, but less, more, I mean, I'm still continuing to employ John and Janet as well. And that was nice to get a sense of who these people are that actually paint miniatures for me. That's really quite a nice experience. And I'm not that I'm friendly with them, but, you know, I've kept in contact with John and Janet and I'm sending John more work through next year. And it makes me think actually about friendship, that increasingly the relationships I have are exclusively paid relationships. And that just seems to be the nature of adult life. And then I start to rate the paid relationships about how good they are not, which is a very, very curious way of living someone's life. I came back and around the time of my birthday in October, my wife said to me, I had all this music that I was going to record vocals to and you know, put out in some part and kind of in addition to the June 13th music release. And my wife said, why don't you just release it as the music? Why do you put beat and stuff behind it? Why don't you just release it the music? And that's what Last Monkey Standing is. It's a series of tracks that were going to have beat and words to them, and I just released it as music. And I think out of everything I've released this year, probably Last Monkey Standing, I mean, I've got uh, Monkey Freedom, which I'll talk a little bit about in a few minutes. But yeah, Last Monkey Standing, I think I'm actually quite happy with. as just a standalone piece of music or a standalone set of music. And it's actually really nice that I'm producing stuff through this intellectual property rights assault. I've actually missed in my notes, I did have a piece down associated with watching this uh, idiot's noble ape thing. Um, I don't really have a lot positive to say about anything associated with this. What it has taught me is that a huge part of popular culture is actually paid for. And in answer to the previous podcast recording associated with intellectual freedom, the dishonesty of paid-for commentary... It's something I had a communication with Bob Mottram, a, a woman who I knew when I was in Australia and have kind of kept in contact with, retweeted something, so not even particularly heavy. And I said, do you know, she's employed by Microsoft. Like, you know, she tweets this stuff, but mysteriously, she never tweets about anything associated with Microsoft. And you wouldn't know that she was employed by Microsoft unless you went to her website and actually looked down at the information. And that reminded me, actually, really strongly that this intellectual freedom thing is very, very curious in this day and age. A majority of academics are actually paid for by companies now. They have some kind of connection with companies. A few of the folk that were involved with Biota are now paid for by Uber. 
and they do they're affiliated with universities and with companies. And I think increasingly you should be very, very wary of any information you receive out there that appears to be just some independent commentator because they typically are getting like money or perks from a wide variety of different sources. And this notion of intellectual freedom when everything is paid for. Now this this idiot and his thing called Noble Ape, which he called Noble Ape, which has absolutely he doesn't even reference anything to do with like there's no reference to why it's called Noble Ape. He just calls it Noble Ape because he could, and because uh, he had lawyers, and so you end up with this very curious thing where all his stuff is paid for. Now he probably does have a small team of people who are legitimate fans, but a majority of the stuff that is, you know, all these likes and rewatches and all that kind of stuff, you you could just Google how this stuff is done. You pay a company, you know, a few hundred bucks for. A thousand or what have you views you give them three keywords and then all the comments contain the keywords so you read down the, his comments they all contain these three keywords if you knew the pattern you would identify immediately that the whole thing is paid for and you start to wonder what is actually happening through this thing like obviously there are people that show up to the the concerts but look he's doing a, a new series he's done with noble ape and he's doing something new Lowe's website's all noble ape still because he's still trying to push the video which ironically, uh, the CD of it got a Grammy Award <laughs> nomination. And my view is highly unlikely that he'd win that, but it would be a very comedic thing if he did actually win the Grammy for that. So when he did the Noble Eight tour, I clocked what the venues were associated with the number of people. His new tour in a variety of different areas are at a fifth to a tenth the size of the Noble Eight tour. So he can't even hold venues. I mean, his his career is in a downward trajectory. And rather than improve his worth, he does all these strange kind of spin things and then pays for the appearance of a fan base. So you have to really wonder, what is this thing? Like, obviously, there's a certain number of people that go and see his concerts. He sells those tickets. But then you've got all this paid-for stuff, which just creates this additional noise and really... And the media, of course, in parallel to that, which is just perfectly happy to get paid and write every fluff piece they could ever possibly want. But no one does any critical analysis. I mean, it's very curious to me that in he could call this comedy show anything, you know? And there would be no narrative. Or maybe they say explicitly, don't ask us about why it's called Noble Ape. You know? We don't want any media associated with why this thing is called Noble Ape. It is all very strange. It's really actually quite chilling because what it shows is that the notion that there are ideas out there that are independent of, of commercial entities is just completely removed. That everything that is being pushed is part of some narrative associated with some corporate idea. And the whole thing is really very disturbing because once you start to realise all the the paid, you know, the semi-paid for the we're not acknowledging it's paid for, it's some stuff that's just explicitly paid for. How can you have intellectual discourse in this environment? My perspective with this whole thing is just to get out. In part, to get out in terms of move into a hermitage, but also in part just to get out and do my own thing, independent of this stuff. And what's curious through this is Monkey Freedom, because I put together a few tracks and put it out as Monkey Freedom and immediately realised that I don't have people that are receptive to the stuff that I'm doing in a very immediate sense. I think it, the stuff I do has long tails, but in terms of the people that are still on social media and these kind of interactions, I can post cute cat photos and this kind of stuff. 
But really, if I'm posting stuff that I'm actually creating, creative content, it's only applicable to a very small subset. And it's not even that I have a, a nominal fan base associated with the stuff. So am I going to continue to produce music? What am I going to do? Let's say, what am I going to do in the next five days before the end of the year? The first thing I'm going to do is take Bob Mottram's Skeleton Code, which I think is absolutely amazing, and make that a standalone thing. And I've been looking at how to reintegrate it with the new Noble Ape simulation, all this other stuff. No, put it that aside. The reason that the electricity went off last night was because I decided to run an extended run of the Noble Ape simulation and also be in a room with a small blow heater, and that was enough. Power went off. So one of my aims is actually to run the Noble Ape simulation for an extended period of time more. I probably need to buy a PC for that and just have a PC running in the corner doing that. Something that I wouldn't look at continuously or just be there. But, you know, coming up, I have bought a laptop through the year as well to do the Windows version. Of Noble Ape. I don't know where that thing is. The whole process associated with the electricity was so turbulent. This guy, uh, John, on the East Coast, painted some images. I don't know where they are. <laughs> Literally turned the house upside down. These things aren't here. And part of it was the plasterer left with a bunch of electrical outlets. So maybe he stole a laptop and took the bucks. Who knows? That was just the nature of the electrical work was that you just had criminals basically coming through and taking stuff. So yeah, who knows what happened to that? Maybe that laptop was gone with that. But yeah, reinforcing, returning to aspects of Noble Ape and just getting deliverables through that thing. Now, you might have noticed through the rambling nature of this podcast that I am incredibly exhausted currently. It has been a very long year. I haven't got a lot of sleep recently. I've just been working through a bunch of things to try to make next year slightly less turbulent than this year. A lot of the impact of the stuff that I've discussed here, the emotional impact, is ongoing. I'm really reflecting very heavily associated with how to remove myself from some of these aspects. A curious footnote about this whole thing, how I remove myself from these various aspects. So... 2019 is going to be a very interesting year. There's a bunch of stuff I haven't even mentioned in 2019. I'm going to the UK. A bunch of other stuff which, if it comes together, would be absolutely life-changing. So hopefully 2019 will be more about new awakenings and new stuff on a very interesting level.